we are continuing a series today called How To. Last week we started it, um, it's a brand new series kind of for the year, and we talked about how to start your year off right. And um, if you're with us, we talked about this idea that, that really there's so many things we got to really get in line. Um, before you make a goal, you should really know what the purpose of that goal is. Um, and so many of us don't think about that. We think, well, I just want to lose weight. We're like, hold on, what's the whole point and purpose of you being healthy? Like, why would you, what's, what's the purpose of you being healthy and having a good, you know, uh, physical body and system? Like, it's not just to, you know, get that cool rocking body, you know. Uh, it's supposed to honor God with your, your body. So we talked about things like that. I highly encourage you to go back and check it out. It's on YouTube and um, Facebook and all Spotify and everywhere. We put them everywhere. So you guys can do that. But today we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 today. And um, I was thinking about this message because um, there's so many times where I have a, I feel like God tells me to speak and talk about a certain topic. And um, as a pastor, you have like two options. You either do what God asks you to do, or you like figure out a way not to do it and push it off. And um, I felt like I couldn't do it with this message. I really feel like God has really given me a word for our church um, this week. And I, I don't, um, I don't always use that. I try not to over spiritualize um, me as a pastor because I think you guys can hear from God as easily as I can. Um, but I really feel like today God has a word for us, and um, and, it, and it's I think it's going to be a real timely word for all of us as we start our new year. And uh, it's going to be we're going to start in Luke chapter twelve. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter twelve is where we're going to be. And um, we're, we're uh, if you don't know anything about the Bible, it's such a great collection of books and. Um, we, we, uh, it's been broken up into like major sections. So like the first major section is the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament. We're going to be in the um, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in Luke, which is a gospel or a life of Jesus. It's a telling of Jesus's life. And Luke was a physician. So he wrote it from a very scientific standpoint. If you're like a person has like, de- is anybody detail oriented in here? Like detail, you're, like, you're about the details. Like I need to know the exact way it looked and felt and um, he, he writes the gospel of Luke in such a scientific way. In fact, he was commissioned by someone to do that um, because he was a physician, because he wanted to know every detail. So if you're real meticulous about things, Luke is a great gospel to read about Jesus because he'll tell you a lot of unique details you don't find in any other gospel. And um, Luke is in the middle, in, in chapter 12, Jesus is, um, he's full on Jesus as we know him to be. He's ministering to people. He's talking to people and he's healing and he's preaching the gospel. And um, there's a unique moment that if you don't know culturally um, is brought to him and he asks a question. Now, remember, anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus asks a question because he's trying to get you to know the answer. He's trying to figure out where where is your heart? He already knows. But he's bringing up a conversation between people. And um, Jesus is, um, he's talking to his disciples and to people. And these two brothers come up and they're fighting and they're arguing about an inheritance from their, uh, their parent that had just passed away. And they're arguing about what to do with it. And um, now this is normal because it's a custom inside that world. You would bring these types of things to the rabbi. And, um, and so they bring it to him and This is what happens. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. If not, we'll put it up on the screens here for you. And it said, um, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now that's not, I mean, this stuff only happened in the old size, you know, the old, the old days, you know, this doesn't happen now. 
Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide things that are just like this? You know, he's like, why do you want to know my opinion? Remember, Jesus, Jesus doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know the answer. And he said, beware. So Jesus goes, okay, but since you opened up the door, if you want to know my opinion, if you really want to know, because sometimes people ask me questions like, hey, pastor, what do you think I should do? I'm like, you really, you sure? I'm going to give you a chance to take it back, right? You, know? you can go ask somebody, go ask Facebook. You'll, you'll find your answer in your echo chamber a lot easier than you will with me. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you Gosh, I could just stop there. That's a good, that's a good verse. That I, I don't know about you, but I, I get caught up into. I, I, I feel like sometimes, I don't even, you know how they talk about keeping up with the Joneses? I don't even have no Joneses to keep up with. I'm just keeping up with myself and I struggle with this. You know, and I'm like, okay. So Jesus hurt my feelings with that verse. And I just kept reading. And then he told him a story. So Jesus gets has a moment, and he says, listen, it's not all about what you own. And then Jesus does this. He goes, well, let me tell you a story. He tells a parable. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. This is a good problem to have. He said, we got so much, I don't have enough to hold it. And he said, then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all other goods. Then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. I thought it was funny how he told himself he was his friend. Like, like did you not have any other friends? My friend, you stored enough years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat and drink and be merry. And then God said to him, you fool. Tonight you're going to die. Then who's going to get all that you worked for? And he says, yes. So he doubles down. He goes, so here's the deal. Here's the lesson person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God but not have a rich relationship with God if you're taking notes today um, my how to today don't leave while I pray it's going to be okay my how to today is going to be how to win with money how to win with money not finances not you know blessing no I'm going to talk about money today it's going to be good and it's probably going to be a little different than what you think. Um, we're not going to take three offerings. The doors aren't a lot locked. It's all good. Church is doing fine. We don't need your money. That's not what this is about. I'm talking about how do you to win. Church has already won. God's already won with money. How do you win with money? That's going to be the title of the day. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. I'm so proud and so honored to be a part of this church. And God, you taught me this lesson this week. As I put the notes together, you are teaching me. You're showing me where I could get better, where I could win with the thing that you gave me. And so, Father, today, if there's a, if I've ever earned any credibility, any clout, any just, any grace from the people in this church, I pray for it today that they would hear the heart of the message and not just the word of the message that you have for us today. Help our minds to be clear, hearts to be open. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I, um, 
I don't know if you can tell by just looking at me, but I was an incredible athlete in high school. The fact that you guys laughed about that is a little unnerving. But I was. I was, a, um, I was, I was an athlete in high school. I played a lot of sports. One of the main sports I played, though, was, um, was wrestling. I don't know if you play wrestling or you do wrestling, but I was a wrestler in high school. And um, I remember when I first started in wrestling, it wasn't um, that I started like when I was, you know, if you want to be a good wrestler, you start when you're a kid, like a little kid, and they put you in wrestling or, or jiu-jitsu or something cool and when you're like four or five, and then you grow up wrestling. Well, I didn't do that. I grew up playing baseball, but then I, in high school, I switched over to wrestling and started wrestling, and I was actually kind of had like a natural knack at it. And so I did really good in my first year. And, and by, the, by the middle of my first year, I moved from they call it C team to JV to, to varsity. They moved to varsity. And I was in varsity wrestling, but halfway through my high school, uh, like high school co- collegiate career. It's not collegiate, but you know what I'm saying? Like my high school, I believed it was collegiate because I was really, you know, anyway. But anyway, so like I'm really good as a wrestler. And so the state championships come up. And um, they're coming up to, you know, in like a month or whatever. And I had to practice. And we were doing a lot of practices, getting really, really fit and in shape. And I was watching my diet and everything was really, really good. And there was one more match before the state championship was coming up. And I was going to be put in my very first varsity match was going to be at this school. And we were, this is going to be the last one before we go into the, the, the you know, the championships for the, for the state. And so um, I'm excited because it's going to be amazing. And if you don't know anything about high school wrestling um, for varsity, they normally will just put you in a big gym. And if you're in C team, they just let you wrestle and they go through all the things and there's weight classes. So there's like light to heavyweight, you know, and they have weight classes all in between. Well, I was kind of chunkier when I was in high school. Like I told you, I was a star athlete. So I was kind of chunkier in high school. And um, I was in the 189 weight class division. And um, so I was in that division, and I was doing really well. And we, we had this championship match. So the C teams come out, they do it. The JV comes out, and then they do it. But then when the varsity comes out, they turn all the lights off, and they do one match Matt, right in the middle, they put one spotlight on, they put music on, it's like everybody shows up, there's nobody at the C team, there's nobody at JV, but everybody shows up for the varsity, and so I'm watching people come in, and I'm like, this is amazing, I'm excited, I'm pumped up, I'm like, this is going to be my coming out party, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be amazing, and so I walk out, and we, we kind of run out, you run around the mat, you do this like big, you know, celebration thing, and then you go sit on the bench, and then what they do is they announce the matches before you you wrestle because you wrestle as the weight classes go up. So the you know the lightweights go out, you know, 135, 140, 150, you know, run them all out, and they run out in the middle of the mat and they shake the hand of the guy that you're going to wrestle. And so I'm ready because I'm towards the end because, again, I'm chunkier at the end. I'm at the end. I'm, like, right before the heavyweights, and I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm going, and I'm looking at the guys, and I'm like, There's, that's a high school kid. That's a high school kid. That's a high school kid. And as I get closer to my weight class, I'm realizing that don't look like a high school kid. That's like a man. That's a man. That is a man right there. That's a man. He's, and so I'm like, clearly that's a coach. Clearly that's a coach. And I'm like, where's my guy that they're going to run out? So I run out ready to get out, you know, and they're like, Aaron Grijalva. And I'm like, yeah, boy, I run out. Nobody knows me, so there's no cheering. So I run out, and I'm in the middle of the mat, and I put down, you know, you got to get low. You get low like this, and you get ready to do it. And I'm like, where's this guy at? I can't see. And out of the shadows, literally this man, boy, man, not even a boy, this man, they, this, this, there's no way. 
that this guy was in high school. He walks out 6'2", freaking chiseled. And he walks out and he puts his hand down. And the guy, look, if I can, can I tell you what he looked like? This is a really good description of what he looked like. Did you all ever see Rocky when he fought the Russian, the Russian guy? What was his name? Drago? Drago? Was that his Drago? You remember when he walked out? He, he looked just like him. And I was like, this is a man. Like, are they running out their coach? You know, to let me know I'm not going to be, like, we forfeit because you're so muscular, you know, like, we, we've been intimidated. And I'm like, he runs out, he gets down, he looks me, in, and, and I'm not kidding you. I, I put my hand out, and my hand, do you ever, when you're a kid, put your hand in your dad's hand? Do you ever remember that, when it would just, you would just engulf it? And I just put my hand out, I'm going to shake his hand. He engulfs my hand, and I said, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I squeeze as hard as I possibly could because you got to intimidate guys. You know what I'm saying, right? We men up in here, like I'm about to let you know. So I squeezed his hand as hard as I could. He smiled. I'll never forget his smile. He smiled and then he squeezed my hand. And I remember going, uh, like that. Like you just, you know how when you're like, when something happens, your legs kind of give out. And then I, I promise you, I did hear under his breath, like I must break you. You know, like I... I'm pretty sure he said that as he ran back. So I ran back to my, my coach, and I was like, hey, coach, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm about to die. <laughs> I'm not ready for this. This is not what I signed up for. Where is the guy, the kid I'm supposed to wrestle? And he goes, he goes, don't worry about it. You're going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be amazing. Just go out there, make it happen. And he was like, he was one of those coaches that always had like a, a good line for you. You know, like there's no I in team. And, you know, you, you can do it, you know, and God's with you. And he goes, I thought you were a Christian. Believe God. And I'm like, don't bring God into this. Like he, I'm about to die, you know. And, uh, and so I ran out there and, um, and all I remember, can I just be honest? All I remember when I started the match, I heard the whistle go off. And all I remember was the sound of a collective gasp from the crowd. <laughs> That's all I remember. I don't remember the match. All I remember was a collective gasp. And it kind of sounded like, it. can you all do me a favor and help me demonstrate the sound? Because we all, it was go, <gasps> okay, on the sound through, we're all going to do that. One, two, three. <gasps> That's what I heard. That's all I remember. I remember a collective gasp from the crowd. And when I came to on the bench... I asked my coach, I said, coach, um, did I win? Now, if you have to ask if you won, right, you didn't win. And I remember thinking uh, it would have been nice to, to win that match because it was my first varsity match, and, and I, I was bummed that I didn't do it. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this this week. I think so many of us get into life. Um, and, and money is such a unique thing. Everybody's got their own opinion on it. A lot of people are, like, taught and trained by their families with it. Some of them are not taught and trained by you, so you have to learn from yourself and learn for yourself how to do it. And We all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and that colors the way that you see your money. It's such an interesting thing that if, if you don't know what the win is with money, you won't win with money. It's like, for me, I remember going out there, honestly, I went out in that match thinking, if I just survive, that's the win, you know? But the truth is, my team was counting on me to, to do something well with my 
responsibility because they, they add up all the points for each match. And then whether you have enough points, you win the match. Your team wins. And I went out there with just the idea of I'm just going to not lose. And when I went out there just trying not to lose, how many of y'all know I lost? And, and, and so many of us have a weird way of measuring success with money. And the question you should really ask yourself is, how do you know if you're winning with money? Have you ever asked yourself that? How, how would you define a win this year with money? Would it be I made more than I did last year? That's how I win. Would it be that I have a certain amount of zeros at the end of my bank account? Would it be that I, I have investments? Or would it be that I own property? Would it be that I can live financially free and not actually be in debt? Would it be that, hey, I don't have to have a job. I have financial flexibility where I have enough money coming in where I don't have to worry about certain things or certain ways. Maybe, maybe there's, how do you, you should ask yourself this, how do you define winning with money? Because the truth is, for many of us, I would bear to say it's found in what I call the land of Ur. Like you need a big Ur house. You need a large Ur bank account. Um, you need a, 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 a bigger office in your job. You need longer, er, er, vacations, right? You, you need, you need like nicer cars. Come on, come on. Like for most of us, if we're honest, it's found in the land of Ur. Like your financial goals and how you know you won this year might be I just got a nicer -er car and and what was interesting about this story with Jesus was that he was winning with money but he was losing with his money at the same time he wasn't getting to what Jesus was trying to tell him he was saying you actually you're not losing but you're winning at the wrong thing in fact D.L. Moody says this he says our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter and so sometimes I think that if we're not careful and you don't know, again, go back last week, the purpose of money, you can lose out in winning with the money that God actually gave you. And so I thought, I thought if, if there's any time I could teach as a pastor on money, it would be now because at the beginning of the year, I think we're all making some financial goals. If not, you should be. You should at least be sitting down with your wife or your husband. Hey, look, what would, what would winning look like this year? And my job as a pastor is to give you maybe a biblical sense of what money should be. Again, we're not taking a third offering. This is not for pastor's boat. I don't, it doesn't even work like that here. So, like, I just want you to know we don't bend. This is not to, for our benefit. This is for your benefit, hopefully, that you can learn how to win this year and actually win at the right thing when it comes to money. So I'm going to give you today, in the time I have left, three ways to win with money. Three ways to win with money. And I think if you can get this in our heart, we can get this in our hearts, man, I think God can really, really, really move based on this, this passage of Scripture. Number one, the first way to win with money is we got to guard against all kinds of greed. we got to guard against all kinds of greed. I like what Luke chapter 12 says. He says, then Jesus said, beware, which means look out, which means be, this is a big deal, okay? Like, Pause what you're doing and pay attention. Look, look, listen, listen. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus was simply pointing out guarding isn't passive, it's active. 
Because if you understand the original language and what he's talking about, he's saying you can't guard against greed unless you're actively doing something that's keeping you away from it. Guarding there meant, um, it was actually an incredible word. It was a Greek word called phulasso. Everybody say that with me. It's fun to say. Phulasso. Yeah, it meant, it meant to be on active, uninterrupted watch. This was the word that people would use if you were a shepherd watching in the fields against wolves trying to come and eat your sheep. Now, we don't know that because last I checked, none of y'all are shepherds. I don't have sheep. If you have live animals, you probably have a fence or some way of keeping the predators out. But it's, if you're a shepherd in those times, there were, they would stay up and watch the sheep. They would take turns. It's like it's an active thing. It's like, no, no, if the moment I rest is the moment the enemy comes in, and steal something from me. And so Jesus was saying, you got to fulasso this thing called greed. You got to be on guard. You got to be on crazy watch. It's not a passive command. It's a highly active command. It's not simple avoidance. It's saying, look, greed is sneaky and it's destructive and it's manipulative, and it comes in weird ways at weird times and shows its ugly face at the moment you don't even know it's coming. And before you know it, something has happened. Has anybody, I'll just, it probably happened in all of our lives. Has anybody ever made a foolish, other than me, financial decision it just like can please if you if you're just human please raise your hand okay like you're breathing okay you probably made a foolish financial decision and isn't it funny how you look at it and you go I don't know how this happened I don't know I don't where did what how did this even happen Jesus was saying that happened because you weren't on fulasso like you were just a fool with yourself, you don't hear what I'm saying. Like you were, you weren't on guard. You, 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 you thought it would just naturally happen. It doesn't naturally happen. Has anybody ever potty trained a kid? If you potty, is anybody in current potty training right now? Raise your anybody, anybody. One, two. God bless you, right? Because if you are not, if you've never potty trained a kid, or if you forgot what it was like to potty train a kid, it ain't passive. If you want to really train and potty train a child, it's like, man, you got to commit to it. It's like a season of like a lot of nonsense that happens in your house because you got to make sure that when this happens, we do it in here, bro. Like we do it in here, not out there on dad's carpet, not in the dining room. Come on. You go through a lot of stuff. Can I say it like that? And Jesus was saying, like, just like when you potty train a kid, you better be on guard. You better be careful. You got to be active in your guarding. And how can we do that? Let me give you two ways to be active, two ways to do actually philosophy, to actually actively guard against greed. Number one is you need to have active generosity. You have active generosity. The only antidote known to man to greed is generosity. Y'all know that, right? 
You can't, you can't like serve out of it. You can't think your way out of greed. You can't believe your way out of greed. You can't have faith out of way to greed. No, no. It's a genera- generosity is the only thing that breaks the back of greed. That's it. That's the only thing that does it. I, I remember somebody told me the other day, you know, what, what I love about our church is we're really, really generous as a church. We give away over 20% of our income literally goes to people and places that have nothing to do with our church. Which, by the way, is not the norm. The norm, the norm 3% for churches that normally do that. We're at 20 People are like, man, you guys are like so generous. Pastor, you're just like a generous person. I go, ha, ha, I'm not. I'm not. Do you want to know my honest? Can I be honest with you? Can I be on, like, come tell, tell the truth, shame the devil? I'm, I'm pretty greedy, honestly, like by nature. Like, I know I'm like, maybe that shocks you as a pastor, like, but I'm just being honest. Like, like I don't, I, I'm more of a miser than I am a generosity giving person. I more try to hold on to things that I have. And I don't know if it's just because, like, I, I have a, there's a, by the way, poverty is not an income, it's a spirit. And so I have to, like, genuinely break the poverty spirit of my life. And I cannot, I cannot believe God into guarding against greed. I cannot believe God out of my way of, of greed. Jesus was saying, you got to be actively guarding against it. And one of the ways that you do that, actively guard against greed, is you, you have to be regularly generous with the things that God gave you. That's the only way that you break the back. So regularly, so even in my wife, in our budget, when we actually look at things, like we, like, we incorporate moments for generosity. I don't do that because I'm a good person. I actually do that because I'm a greedy person. And if I don't do that, greed will overtake me. And before you know it, I'll do what you guys all do. Come on, we all say, well, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. Sheep have been taken. God, why don't you care? We all do the same thing. And so Jesus is saying, like, look, man, you got to be active, like active in your generosity. So you got to ask yourself this question. What steps are you doing today to be generous with your church, with your family, with your business, with your company, with your friends, with your neighbors, like with with other nonprofits, like wh- where are you actively being on guard with being actively generous? Number two, second way to do this is being active in your planning when it comes to money. One of the ways you can guard against greed is being planning, actually plan with your money. And um, I'll, I'll say one of the number one ways, I'm going to use the B word in church, um, budgets. And people are like, oh, God, oh, here it is. I knew it. It's going to make me say no to things. I hate saying no to things. I like saying yes to things. Pastor, tell me about the generosity thing again. Like, no, 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 no. But here, you know what budgets really do? Budgets don't make you say no. Budgets give you the ability to say yes to the right things. That's all budgets are. Budgets are like planned, prepared. No, I'm planned on where things go. Budgets allow you to say no to the good things so that you can say yes to the great things. That's all budgets do. And budgets are interesting because, I don't know if you've ever done this before, have you ever felt like, um, when you buy something, do you, anybody in here like me, do you feel bad about buying? Like, sometimes I'll buy things and I'll buy buyer's remorse. Does anybody have buyer's remorse like me? Like, I'm crazy buyer's remorse. Like, I'll buy something and I'll be like, oh my God, I shouldn't have bought that. I'm like, where's the receipt? Can I take it back? Can I do this? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my wife will just sit there and watch me and she looks at me like this is her face when she looks at me. She's like, what's wrong with you? It doesn't matter what it is. You're like, well, is that kind of big purchase? No, like it's on a candy bar. Like I have an issue with buying things. And I'll buy stuff and I'll be like, really? Like I have like guilt. I'm like, oh my gosh, should I buy this? I don't know if I should have. Do you know what budget spending is? Budget is guilt-free spending. 
If you want to eliminate guilt out of your life, eliminate greed out of your life, learn to walk with a budget. I was talking to a married couple, and I'm like, you know what marriage life is like? It's, it's guilt-free sex. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. It really is. Because when you're single and you're trying to act all crazy and that's against, against the Bible and stuff like that, you all know that's like against the Bible. It's like you do have guilt. But when you get into marriage, it's amazing. Same thing about budget. Budget, guilt-free spending. That's what it is. Because you can spend because you've already designed and planned where it goes. I went to, um, I'm going to make some people mad in here right now. Y'all ready? If I haven't already made you mad, you, know, you talk about money, I'm mad already. Okay, so get, I'm just keep pressing the button. Uh, my wife and I and we, we, our family went to Disney recently. And some of y'all are like anti-Disney. Like, it's, it's okay. It's just a mouse. And so like it, we went to Disney. And um, I want to show you a picture. We went to Disney. And uh, we did like the family thing where, you know, you get like, we paid like $80 a shirt for like to, to get like the, from somebody from Etsy. I'm like supporting somebody's beach house. It's great. And so, um, so this is my family. We went to Disney and um, they moved. Did you see that? They moved all the crowd just for us. They knew I was like, pastor's coming. Get out the way. I'm just kidding. We actually weren't supposed to be in there. We ran out and we're like, we take our picture quick. And we did it. And then we got in trouble. So it was awesome. And so um, we went to Disney and um, we had saved for five years to go to Disney. Five years. And so when we say we put this like plan together, a budget each day of what to spend. And can I tell you, there was a huge difference between this trip and the last trip we went. Last trip we went, we didn't budget anything. We just kind of went and said, we'll just figure out what's going to happen. And let me just tell you, when you figure out what's going to happen, bad things happen. <laughs> Especially at Disney with the $18 waters and, you know, the $85 shirts and, you know, the $25 chip bags. Like, it's a lot. But when you, when you budget, like we budgeted, we went out there, and I remember buying stuff, and my wife would be like, I'd be like, I'd buy it. I'm like, she goes, well, you got, you got, this is your budget. So I'd walk in, and I'd grab this thing, and I'd buy it, and I'd walk out, and I'm like. <sighs> I felt like I won. I felt like I won something, you know? And I walk out, and I'm like, and I remember looking at my wife, and then that spirit would jump up on me again, be like guilt, you know? I'd be like, oh, man, I shouldn't have bought that. And she'd go, remember, this is what that's for. And I was like, <gasps> It's like, let's go buy something else. You know what I mean? Because why? Because I had a budget. We had planned what we were going to do. And when we planned, because some of us, here's why this is so important. Some of us live in such bondage and such guilt and such stress and such pressure with money, not because you don't have enough, but because you don't plan with what you have. Budgets could be a step to be. Second way you can do this is savings. I like what Proverbs chapter 21 says. It says the wise man saves for the future. Savings, by the way, means you don't spend all that you have. You don't spend all that you have. To actually save means to you don't spend all. I know I have to like explain this to people because some of us don't have savings. Not because you don't have money. Hear me. It's not because you don't have money or enough money. It's because you did not budget what you had so you could not put some certain money and amount away. I could be honest with you. It could be a good goal this year for some of us. I know it sounds crazy to actually downsize your life so that you have more to allocate towards the right things. I, I, I know that's like, man, pastor, this is terrible. Like, where's the general, where's the blessing part? Like, get, where's God's the God of more than enough? He is a God of more than enough if you would do well with what he's given you. He'll give you more if you show him you can do well with what he's given you. So I'm just getting, like, an idea of saving is so important. Let me give you, I just want you to hear that this is a Jewish principle through and through. Just so you, like, this is Jesus 
101. I'm going to teach you something. They used to think about in the Jewish culture, they would teach, rabbis would teach financial peace, like Dave Ramsey financial peace. This is what they would teach them. You want to know how, what their financial peace looks like? This is what they'd say. If you're here and you follow Jesus, live in the circle, not the square. Some of y'all are like, what does that even mean? I'm going to show you what that means. They would teach regular Jewish people how to live in the circle, not the square. Now, I'm going to give you a diagram here. Okay, we're going to walk through a couple of things. Number one, so they would say, hey, you, uh, they were an agricultural society. They, most people lived based on farming. That's how they made a living. They would live in a way that would say, hey, we would plant, we would sow seed, we'd till the ground, we'd let it water it, we'd let it grow, we would sell what we had, and we would live off of what we would make inside the square. This is their livelihood. The field would be their livelihood, okay? They, this is the square. They called the square. Rabbis would say, actually, don't live in the square. Don't live off the square. Live off the circle. So they would put a circle in their square. So this is their field. And what the circle would do, y'all see what it's doing. What the circle would do, it would plan and give them the ability to budget and to save exactly what they would need to live off of. Now, you and I, go back to the last slide real quick. Go back to the last one. Just go to the square. This is America. In fact, we are taught not to live in the square. We're taught to live outside the square. We're taught to say, hey, I know you only made this amount, but Visa is amazing. Chase, American Express, they're all paying billions of dollars a year for you to live outside the square. So we don't even teach this. They're, they're like, don't even worry about the square. The square is a, it's a dot to you. Don't even worry about it. The square's all good. Just live outside. We got you until they send the bill, right? Then they got you. So they see each, they say, actually, don't live in the circle. Don't live in the square. Live in the circle. So they put the circle on their field. And what that did was that gave them the ability to actually allocate four sections of their finances. I'm teaching you biblical stuff. This is Jewish stuff. You can go back and read it. This was in the Bible. So the fact, they taught Jewish and Hebrew people not one tithe. They taught them four. And you guys are like, this is crazy. I'm out of this church. You don't have to tithe four times to this church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just teaching you history here, okay? Can I, can I have a history moment? They would teach them, when you live in the circle, you actually free yourself up to actually give more than you should normally give. So what you would do is you would, they would tithe. Go ahead and put that back up. They would actually give. When you lived in the circle, it gave you margin and flexibility and your freedom to give to the pastor and the priest that were serving them. They had a tithe to the pastor and the priest. They would, t come on, I would love, amen. So anyway, nobody amen that. Okay, they would t tithe to the church. That's America. That's 21st century Hebrew. Like that's, okay, we're all with that. Yeah, okay, we teach that. Then they would actually give to widows and orphans, and it would be one or the other depending on the year. And then they would give to their self. They would tithe to their self. Because why? They said live in the circle, not the square. Because if you learn to live and live off less than what you bring in, you actually give yourself the ability to bless those around you and actually do the things that God wants you to do. Have you ever been in a situation where the church or you saw a need or you saw somebody who was hurting or you were in a situation where you wanted to give but you couldn't? That was probably because you were living not just in the square, you are living outside the square. You didn't have any money to allocate towards that. And so I believe this really, I really believe this on my heart. In the 21st century church, I think most people want to give to God. I do think that. I think there's some people who are anti-God or anti-don't want to do that, or they think pastors getting rich off of that, which that is not even a thing. Like, like, that's a thing in places that are not accountable. That's not at this church, by the way. If you want to know how accountable we are, go to Next Steps. I'll tell you each and every moment and act, 
outside firms that do audits on our finances and I don't even set my own salary. So like there's weird, I can tell you things and give you the ability to give to our church, but that's not what this is about. What I'm trying to teach you is that you have the ability to live within the circle so that you can actually do the things you want to do. But you can't do it if you don't have it there because people are like, Pastor, I, I would give, but I don't have the money. And I'm like, I believe you. I, I agree. With, I think you would. But you live outside the square. You don't, even, you don't even know what the circle is. But that's how they used to. That's how they used to teach. Number two is this. Number two is this. Work hard and build something. So the first thing was, was like, God's like, Jesus is like, look, man, like, you got to be, I got to be honest with you. Before I even get into any of my issues, you, you need to learn to guard against all kinds of greed. But if you really want to win with money this year, you got to work hard and build something. You got to work hard. It wasn't bad that this guy built and worked hard. Y'all know that, right? That's not what Jesus was rebuking. Because some people teach this. I heard pastor actually teach this. Like, you shouldn't, I mean, this is teaching against working too hard. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was actually teaching. He said, look, read it in verse 18. Then he said, I know I'll tell down my barns and build bigger ones and I'll have room enough to, 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 for all my wheat and all the other goods. He was talking about working hard. Verse 20 says, then who will get everything you work for? Jesus was not getting mad at him working hard. He was upset and criticizing and warning against what he did with what he worked hard for. He was saying, look, man, some, can I just say this in the most pastoral way that I, I'm going to make, I might make people more mad. Some of y'all need to work harder. Like, you need to work harder. Like, that's not a popular thing in this world. Like, there's, like, ideas of quiet quitting and, hey, we're just going to do just enough. Like, that's the most ridiculous, demonic thing that could get in your life about money. Like, I'm just going to let it happen. Maybe something's just going to come to me. Something's just going to happen. You know, it's going to be all good. We have a whole generation of people growing up believing that the government's going to take care of you. I watched a video the other day. I'm going to show you this video. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change your life. It's, it's awesome. Watch this. It's going to be it's great. Well, well welcome to 2023 in America. Dramatic pause. We, we, we have woken up to a world where we're like, well, if I just get up, it'll, co- it'll, it'll, it'll come to me. Well, if I just do just the bare minimum, I'm going to eat. It'll, it'll come to me. It's going to be okay. The government's got me. I got it. It's okay. It's going to be all right. I'm going to make enough money. I'm going to be good with money, but I'm real tired today. I got to call in. I don't know. You know I really don't want to. If you're going to do good with money, the most biblical thing you can do is work hard. Go get it. Like, go get it. Like, go and get it. I tell, I'm trying to teach my kids right now. I'm like, I'm not giving nothing to you. Like, you, some of us need to have a one-on-one with your kids and be like, hey, you know what? I just want you to know, if mom and dad ever have money, or if we do have money, it's my money. That ain't your money. I like what Shaq told his kids. He said, 
how much money do you think you got? His kid said, well, we're rich. He goes, I'm rich. You ain't. I like that. Because we need to teach our kids, and when you need to teach yourself, you better go out and work hard. Work is from God, y'all. Y'all know that. It's one of the most divine things you can do. Did you know God worked on the first day? It said, in the beginning, God created. He worked. He did something. He didn't just stand there. He did something. And then he told Adam the first thing, go and be fruitful and multiply. That wasn't just by having babies. He said, go and be fruitful and then multiply. Go be fruitful. Go work. That was before sin entered into the earth. And some of us treat our job like it's sin. You're like, oh, my God, I can't wait till I'm in heaven and we don't got to work no more. You are in, you're reading the wrong Bible. We're going to do some stuff in heaven. There's going to be some work to do. Work is divine. I'm going to try to change your idea on work. Godly work, and by the way, godly work, work is divine, and godly work is harder than you think it should be, always. This is hard work. We need to learn how to work stinking hard. You need to work. Give, I'm going to give you one quick thing, and then I'm going to move on, and I'm, I'm almost done. Proverbs chapter 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to your kids. By the way, one of the number one things that you have as a parent, responsibility you have as a parent, is to leave something behind to your children. It's a biblical thing. And the only way you can do that, here, I just want you to know, uh, is work, I want you to work on this thing. Write this down. This is real important. It's called the six-day principle. This is a Hebrew thing. Six-day principle. It was the idea that you need to work five days for yourself, the sixth day you work for the next generation. Which means that, by the way, the five-day work week is an American thing. It's not a kingdom thing. You're like, well, I work Monday through Friday really hard. Then what are you doing on your sixth day to actually incorporate and build your wealth so that you can leave it inheritance to your kids? That was a six-day thing. By the way, Jesus, or God, when he created the world, worked how many days? And then he, he, he rested on the seventh day. Some of us work three and a half, and then you rest for another three and a half. I'm, I love you. I love you. But y'all need to be thinking about side business, side hustle, extra work. What am I going to do to put away? I'm not going to do this just for what I got now. I'm doing this for my future. What am I going to do? My business. I'm going to show up in my business. I got this side thing going. I got Some of y'all need to work and work hard. I'm just telling you like a pastor who loves you, we need to get up and do something this year. You want to win with money. The third one is this and I'm done. You can play the fancy music. Be rich towards God. The, the, the New International Version of this scripture in Luke chapter 12 says, this is how it will be with those whoever. This is the end of that version of the scripture that I just read. This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Rich towards God. I'm not talking about just tithing and offerings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, here, you know what rich towards God means? This is the definition of being rich towards God. Being rich towards God means I value the things God values. I value the thing God values. My money goes to the thing that God values. And money is an indicator of what I value. My wife and I, we go on trips with our kids. We go on family vacations. We don't go to, like, that was the most expensive vacation we did and took me five years to do. We don't always do that. We do things that are simpler sometimes. Sometimes we just take our kids to SeaWorld. Sometimes we just go to the park. We Sometimes we go out of town. Sometimes we drive and we stay somewhere that's cheap. It's... It, we go out. Why do we do that? We do that, and some of it's expensive, and some of it's cheap. The reason we do that, we put that money away. We value it. If you were to look at our bank account, you see what I value. I value family time. I value family time. 
money isn't always an indicator of what I value. And if you found something you really love, you would always find a way. So the question is, is it's not, don't fall into the lie of like, well, I can't, I don't have enough money to do this. No, yes, you do. If you really want, let's be honest. Come on, guys. If we really wanted to do something, if you really wanted something, you'd find a way. You really find a way because you value it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is am I falling into the category of the guy at the end that says, man, am I, am I being rich towards myself or am I being rich towards God? Because if I'm being rich towards myself, I'm a fool. But if I'm being rich towards God, man, I'm allowing for the thing that God gave me to not be a part of me, but to be just something that I use as a tool in my hand. So here's my challenge to you today. To be rich towards God. This year. That's different for everybody. Different for everybody. Some of you have never, ever, 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 ever let something out of your hand towards someone else. This is your year. Take a step. I just, just do it once a month. I don't know. Do it once a month. I don't care. It doesn't matter the frequency. You see what I'm saying? Just take a step. Some of you are regular givers here. You tipped God. I call you tippers. You come in, you throw a 20 in. All right, that, was, that was good. Good message, Pastor. That was good. It's all good. That's where you are. It's all good. You should be moved from tipper to tither. Well, I can't give 10%. Okay, what, what percentage can you give? Well I, well, I can do 3%. Okay, cool, that sounds good. Sounds like you took a step. Well, I can do, you know, 1%. Oh, sounds like you took a step. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Like, again, church is doing fine. It doesn't go to me. It's all good. You can do whatever you want. I, I'm just telling you, take a step. Maybe you are a tither in here. You're Bible-believing. You give, you penny to the penny tither. You should learn to give offerings. The offerings is above and beyond your tithes and offerings. You should take a step today. Maybe you do both of those things. You should find a way to bless others. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. I don't, you don't have to come and report it to me. God knows your heart. God knows what you're doing. You should sit down with your family this year and say, God, where can I be rich towards you? Where can I be rich towards you? Because you've been so rich towards me. You've been so rich towards me. You seem to value the things. That, isn't that funny how God will value the things you value? Have you ever been blessed by God? Anybody in here ever been blessed by God? You know what he's doing? He's being rich towards you because he valued the things that you value. He ever bless your kids? You value your kids, don't you? He bless your kids. He bless your wife, bless your business, bless your family, bless your, come on, come on, come on. We can be rich towards God. So somebody in here needs to take a step. I'm going to take a step this year. I was challenged this year. Like, I was like, oh, man, all right, yeah, you're right. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to take a step. Today, I'm going to take a step. My prayer for you is to do that as well. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you to God that today, I pray that the demonic oppression of money is broken over the back of this church. For anybody that's in here right now, God, that suffers from stress and anxiety and the poverty spirit that is a demonic spirit, I pray that that was broken by the blood of Jesus Christ right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you would give us strength to walk by faith and not by sight when it comes to our money. I pray that we would all take a step collectively, together, in whatever personal way we can do that, that we would learn to ultimately be rich towards you. The whole purpose of that parable was us teach, was you teaching us. We must, it's not an option, we must be rich towards God. And Father, as we do that, I know blessings come. Not because we have earned your favor, earned your blessing, because we already have it, and it's the way of the kingdom. 